Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Look, football is back, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the, all the action at BetOnline. Maybe the Bears are two-and-a-half-point underdogs this week. Maybe you want to get your beak wet a little bit. And from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the pod. We're getting out a big plate today. We're going to the Chicago Sports Buffet. We're bringing in my good buddy, who I've been missing on this pod recently, HBO's finest. Mike Choi. Hello, Mike. You've been a busy man, but I'm glad to have you on the pod. How are you today? Uh, doing well, Joey. Uh, you know what they say, uh, don't ever work with animals, children, or on music documentaries. <laughs> Up to your eyeballs with the greatest <laughs> musical artist of all time. And uh, you're a busy man, but I'm happy to have you on the pod today. There's a lot to talk about. Every single organization right now has some sort of talking point or topic to hit. So sure, I want to kind of go through all of them with you and get your thoughts. Let's go off the uh, the most recent one. Here's our appetite for the day. Le'Veon Bell is a free agent. Something that Bears fans have been sort of kind of talking about, fantasizing about over the summer, about should we trade for Le'Veon Bell? He isn't happy. It's kind of the end of his contract deal with the guaranteed money. Could we afford him? He's a fit for the offense. Well, now he's officially released. Thank you, Adam Gase, for the parting gift of Le'Veon Bell on the market. Let's just start here, Mike. Should he be on the Bears? Would you go after him if you were in the Bears organization? Well, we need a backup, if not starting running back on this team right now. Um, I, you know, the greater question, before we even get into the Le'Veon part, the greater question for me is, is David Montgomery just a guy? That's the question I have. Um, You know, in any sport, outside of the exceptions to the rule, for me, I always feel like by year three, you know who you have in that player. Obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule. But right now, you know, it's only year two. But right now, David Montgomery uh, seems like just a guy to me, unfortunately. You know, kind of, you know, he's never going to be Matt Forte. He's never going to be peak Thomas Jones. Um, he's more in the mold of former Bears running backs like Raymond Harris, Anthony Thomas. You know, these guys who are serviceable but will never be elite. Uh, so that leads us into the Le'Veon situation. Um, we 100% need... Uh, second running back. I don't think anyone believes that Cordell Patterson or Ryan Nall is that person. And then the question Arcavis is... Pierce for you? Well, yeah, Lamar right? Miller for yeah, you? Yeah, right? So <laughs> then the question is, do we need a starting running back? Um, Le'Veon Bell is obviously a known commodity. He's faltered a little bit in uh, New Jersey. Um, but I kind of attribute that to Adam Gaze. Uh, you know, we kind of created the Adam Gaze monster however many years back, made him this hot commodity. And he's just gone on to prove himself as, uh, as kind of a franchise killer and a player production killer. So maybe he just, maybe Le'Veon just needs a fresh breath of air. And if he lands in Chicago, I am all for it. Yeah, you look back now and you're like, wow, look at Adam Gaze get along with Jay Cutler. How does he do it? Well, it could be maybe because he's a psycho. Look, I, I think you're bringing up an excellent comparison to Raymond Harris because to me right now, that is basically more or less what David Montgomery is until further notice. He's averaging 3.7 yards per carry right now. There are a lot of things that he does on the football field that I like. After first contact, uh, contact he, he's always going to get a couple extra yards. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but 
I was going to make this comparison and you brought it up. It's an awful one, but he's definitely not Matt Forte. You know, whatever no, you want to no. say, even in Matt Forte's, I believe, first game as a pro, he took a ball to the house against the Indianapolis Colts. He still had that home run ability, that mentality. And I've just wanted for so long to see an offensive line that can give the space to Dave Montgomery to possibly hit those holes, get to the second level, and see if he can take it the distance. And I did like that one play that Mitch Trubisky threw that he was able to scamper across the field and score a touchdown, what was it, three weeks ago. But other than that, I do have a lot of questions. And in terms of Le'Veon Bell, people out there that want to throw out whatever, he's, he doesn't have it anymore. Uh, he's not the player that he was two years ago. He's a problem in the locker room. We don't want anything to do with him. Well, my question for you is, that person saying that is, what do we have that's so great as a Bears fan? You know, what do we have back there that is so dynamic that you can't rock the boat, that you can't change it up, that we can't, God forbid, steal a couple more carries from Cordero Patterson or, or maybe steal a possession or two from David Montgomery. Le'Veon Bell at 1,200 all-purpose yards last year and 66 receptions. I think the that's Bears offense. a down offense, year. Yeah, that's and a, a down, down year. Thank you. And he's only 28 years old. The cost about a million bucks, maybe a million five. We got 10 million in salary cap right now. This sort of feels like a no-brainer to me, and I'm with you. I think a challenge for David Montgomery in the backfield is not a bad thing. Yeah, and you know, for me, it's not a lack of effort on David Montgomery's part. He, every play, puts 100% into it. And credit the guy for that, right? But you, I mean, I think you said the perfect word when you said dynamic. He's not a dynamic runner, unfortunately. Um, he's good enough to play in the NFL, but, you know, I'm just a fan. I'm not an expert. And so, you know, my, my, my opinion is worth two cents. But there's nothing when you see him run that you're like, that's electrifying. Um, and again, Le'Veon Bell is that guy. So, you know, we've kind of talked about it in, in, with other sports, whether it's the Bulls or whether it's, you know, their recent drafts in terms of like, you know, drafting like guys who are solid but don't have that high ceiling. Le'Veon Bell has that high ceiling. He's proven to have that high ceiling. And sometimes you got to take a risk. But then this all goes into, right, the idea that like, hey, if you don't have great quarterback play, no running back unless you're, you know, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, whoever is going to excel because they're just going to pack the line. The defense is just going to pack the line if you don't have proven quarterback play. So that kind of, well, there's some other issues, right? So, I mean, that goes into, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into an joy, but the, the whole idea that, like, we thought Nick Foles potentially was the savior, especially after that, um, you know, Atlanta thrilling comeback. But I don't, I don't see it in Nick Foles either. I mean, he's a, He's enough, but I don't see that being long-term. Well, unfortunately, yeah, still a work in progress with Nick Foles. I will say you are bringing up a really good point about David Montgomery. It's not that we're saying that we don't think he's a good player, but I'm thinking of this analogy of, think about it in baseball. It's like having a first baseman who only hits 15 home runs a year. And you look around the league, and every other first baseman's hitting 25 to 40 home runs a year. And you're like, look, I got this good player, but it's at this power position right here. I need this to be a certain sense of production. And I would say that I would love nothing more than Dave Montgomery to be a successful football player for the Bears for years to come. But if you're telling me right now that I'm reading online that the Chiefs are looking at, you know, bringing in Le'Veon Bell, they've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the, the Seahawks are looking at him, and they got Chris Carson. You're telling me that these offenses go, yeah, we'll take a talented player on our team. There is no excuse for the Bears right now to be like, we're good. 
we've got all the talent we need right now. Not Le'Veon Bell, who just so happens to be also a great pass blocker, who's a dude that can play in the slot. I'm sorry, but Anthony Miller right now has been inconsistent at best. So you're starting to ask yourself questions. You know, is Darnell Mooney the guy moving forward? Can Le'Veon Bell be that guy in motion that can catch a quick slant for a couple of yards, six to eight yards? And to your point about Nick Foles, what are we going to see from him? He needs all the help that he can get, right? I'm, I, get, I get the opportunity now. I'm watching the All-22. I get a chance to look at the coach's film. And it's just, there's a simple thing of, there's a reason why Foles and Trubisky were so close in training camp where they're really, they're not that dissimilar skill set wise, except for Nick Foles, about four, five, six plays a game, comes up with NFL type throws that I think Mitch Trubisky just can't make. Like he'll make a check and a call at the line and he'll see something that Mitch in his dreams couldn't figure out and call it and dial up a big play. He can hit a ball 25, 30 yards down the field. And it's just those four, five, six plays that Nick Foles can do that Mitch Trubisky can't. I think we need all the help that we can get. And I think it would be very helpful for our offense moving forward. No, I agree. I think, um, you know, the difference, the, the, well, Mitch has the legs. So he adds that element that obviously Nick Foles can't add. But in terms of mentality, Nick Foles is going to try to get you touchdowns. The mentality that I see from Mitch Trubisky mostly is that he's trying to get you first downs. I rather well, don't the guy screw up. You just don't or, screw or that, up. Right. But it's yeah. more like, Hey, let's just get the first down and keep moving the ball. Whereas Nick Foles, it's like, Hey, sometimes we need that home run. Um, the thing is like, I just, you know, we're playing well enough. Obviously I never felt worse about being four and one <laughs> than ever. I mean, this is very similar to that 2005 team uh, that Kyle Orton led rookie led team where it was just ugly and he led them actually to like a 10 and five, I believe record as a rookie. We could have um, made the playoffs if we beat Atlanta on the final game of the season yeah. and we ended up losing to Atlanta. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 10 and five as a rookie, which is no small feat, but also the worst quarterback rating during that time as well. So it kind of reminds me of that just winning ugly and it just doesn't sit right. It just, but, but then you're like, but we're four and one, but it feels like we're one and four. Uh, but, you know, back to the Le'Veon Bell situation. Who know, I mean, here's the other part of it, Joey. Um, Small sample size, but even if we brought Le'Veon Bell, whether it's a, a combination of talent evaluation or coaching, do we screw that up? Because in recent history, um, can we talk about Mike Davis coming back to Chicago for a revenge game this week? Can we talk about how Raheem Mostert is like, if when he can stay healthy, is proven to be pretty all-world, we talk about dynamic, dynamic for the 49ers. So, again, just in recent history um, – yeah, I just I don't have confidence in our coaching staff to uh, bring out the best in any position that we have. And I think what's happening here is we're having a hard time putting our finger on what exactly it is because I think we're actually hitting on what it is. It's just a combination of things. Nick Foles, in his interviews, post-game interviews this week, called Matt Nagy's offense erratic, the play calling, the rhythm erratic which means he is seeing something where there are moments where we have a rhythm and for whatever reason, Matt Nagy, because of his concepts, switches out the personnel, doesn't roll with the hot hand, changes things up. And, you know, to your point about Mike Davis, we never gave him a shot last year, right? We gave him two carries on a, a third or fourth series in the second quarter and then called it a day. We never really actually tried to get him involved. We're sort of seeing it with Cole Komet right now, too, as well, about a guy that just can't crack the lineup right now. And you're asking yourself why. Get him snaps. Get him the snaps. And a part of that, I think, has to do with play calling that 
Nagy just can't kind of help himself every once in a while. Now, I will admit, I think a couple of his play calls last week were excellent, but I think that there's a consistency factor that stretches from the head coach down to the quarterback, to the offensive line, to the running back, to Anthony Miller, the wide receiver, the tight end. I think it's all something that just won't click. It's, it's like a spine right now that we need to just line up perfectly and sort of click right now. I'm kind of hoping it come, comes against the Carolina Panthers. I want to get your opinion on it where the Carolina Panthers game this week feels like in any other football season would be one of those weeks where the Bears could have a statement game and beat this team by, I don't know, whatever, 28 to 7, let's just say. But if you look around the rest of the league, there's really nobody kicking anybody's ass right now. Outside of what? The Ravens beating the Bengals 27 to 3. I think all the games last week were pretty close. Titans, Buffalo, obviously, withstanding, that got away from them pretty quickly. But even when teams are up 20 to 3, other teams are kind of coming back. It just seems like every game this season is a lot closer than uh, in years past. And it's just hard to blow teams out. Are you, are you sort of seeing that? And what do you think about this Bears-Panthers uh, matchup this weekend? You know, of course it's volatile. It's very volatile, obviously, once again, another situation affected by COVID um, and just the injuries across the league. Good God, that Dak Prescott injury. I, I'm going to have nightmares about that for months. Oh, God. Uh, My fantasy just, team just has candles uh, no, surrounding well, it right now as, as well. a vigil. It's brutal. Um, so, yeah, in terms of it, it is super volatile, but that's, you know, every team and every sport is dealing with that. So to some degree, that levels the playing field. Um, Carolina should be, you know, again, we're catching them without their best player, uh, potentially the best player in the league in Christian McCaffrey. So, um, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater, who once again, they unceremoniously, unceremoniously got rid of Cam Newton, who has found new life or at least in the early parts of the season in New England. So, I mean, we're catching, you know, a team that is also kind of, you know, kind of reestablishing their identity, uh, just like we are. And, um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. They don't scare me. Uh, we should be able to get a win if we play well. There's no um, situation where I'm like, yeah, we can't beat Carolina. I mean, uh, you know, everything goes right. We should, and then we should be 5-1. and one. I mean, we should have, you know, the, the indie game, to really quick go back to the indie game, uh, that was a very frustrating game to watch. And the thing that I keep telling people that I've had these conversations with, whether, once again, it's football or basketball specifically between those two sports, Indianapolis, at least at the time, I don't know if they're still ranked the number one defense, but that's what – great defenses do they make your offenses look like shit specifically football specifically in basketball so of course it was frustrating to watch that game but again you can't get that much movement against any great defense so I wasn't too concerned about the game I mean and then we still could have potentially put ourselves in position to win so again man I mean we're four and one uh as ugly as it is we're four and one um the only thing I wonder if that'll bite us in the long run, because again, once we talk about quarterback play, uh, we've totally played ourselves out of any chance of getting Trevor Lawrence, who I think is, you know, we talk about these quarterback prospects. I think he is a generational guy. So we're, we're not, we're not getting Trevor Lawrence. Well, that's more of the, uh, that's more on the Falcons venue. Now at this point, they're not even going to commit to Matt Ryan going back to what you're talking about with the Colts game. If you want to trigger my rage, just show me the clip of that interception slipping through Khalil's Max hands yeah, over yeah. and over and over again, yeah. which really would have flipped the field. We yeah. would have gotten some points, kind of would have changed the complexion of the game. And also we're talking about, we're asking questions about not just Le'Veon Bell being on the Bears, but Dave Montgomery moving forward. I will say this is a really interesting week. I know we don't have James Daniels. I know it's going to be either Rashad Coward or Alex Barr at, um, Alex Barr's at left guard, but the Carolina Panthers, they allow the most fantasy points to running backs. 
Their defensive line on the season only has five sacks. Their pressure numbers on the quarterback are at the bottom of the league. This is a defensive line and a defensive front that the Bears should be able to take advantage of. And you're starting to ask yourself the question, if there's ever a week Dave Montgomery has a 100-yard rushing game, hopefully <laughs> it is this week because the, the numbers in the matchup line up for him to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, again, we talk about this team, the, the composition of this team. And uh, this is something I, I have kind of been wanting to ask you, Joey. Like, has there been any update about the Allen Robinson uh, contract negotiation or they have tabled it for the season? Because – for me, I mean, it's unfortunately just bad timing with Cohen tearing his ACL. But the fact that they locked Carrick Cohen up before A-Rob is, is, is telling to me. I mean, A-Rob, I mean, when healthy, there are a handful of receivers who are better than A-Rob, definitely, right? you got your Michael Thomases, your Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, Des Hopkins. But after those guys, there's nobody that you could say is better than A-Rob in the NFL right now. So the fact that we don't, have our best offensive player locked up to a contract is scary to me because if he leaves it's like kind of starting all over again next year yeah the Tariq Cohen signing bad optics that's what they call that right my take on it is this I hope that they come to a contract extension in the middle of the season kind of rare but I hope that that happens if it makes it to the end of the year I honestly don't think he comes back. I think there's probably enough bad blood between the negotiation and the goodwill between two sides where he probably doesn't come back. I will say, though, that we're probably not hearing anything about it. And this is my hope, is that the Bears are still actively hammering out a deal, and they have promised Allen Robinson's team that they're going to get a deal done as long as they shut up. You know, no more leaks. No more social media distractions. No more playing out negotiations through the media. You have to work in good faith. And this is what we're asking of you. In good faith, don't say anything. Don't let it go out to the media. And in good faith, we will try and get a deal done. That's what I'm hoping is happening. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Speaking of uh, fingers crossed right now, let's go to the White Sox real quick. Let's go on the red line. Let's get off at 35th. Still fresh. Still fresh in my because, um, yeah, a lot of interesting thing ha- things happening. Look, let's just, you know, hit the, hit the quick hits about it. You know, this young team, so much talent, budding superstars and all-stars across up and down the lineup and even in the rotation. The bullpen start the season one and five, finish the season 35 and 25, absolutely tank in the playoffs. We were, you know, we've been on these pods talking about criticizing Ricky Renteria, saying that there was pressure on him to show that he was a big-time manager that can make decisions. I said in the preview pod for the White Sox, I want to see how Ricky Renteria handles his bullpen this year. Well, we we got that answer, and he is no longer the manager of the White Sox. And, you know, obviously a lot of names just get thrown out right away. A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora finishing up their suspensions. I want to go to those guys, but first, it wouldn't be 2020 if we weren't talking about a guy in his mid-70s looking (laughs) to lead – lead a group of people that hopefully are looking and striving for prosperity. No, are I'm not talking about the second week of November. I'm talking about the 76 year old Tony LaRussa, yep. Bob Nightingale, who was really close to the White Sox and really close to the Reinstor family is saying that LaRussa has been asked to come in and interview. He says that right now he's the clear front candidate to win the job as manager of the White Sox. I mean, Mike color me surprised. I did not see this one coming at all. And I'm dying to hear what you think of this. Well, first of all, I, I know we kind of texted about this. 
But just let's talk about the dire straits of the Chicago coaching situation when Rich Renteria <laughs> is the was the longest tenured head coach in Chicago. I that that's just that's just that just is yuck. That's He's just got yuck. the gold watch. <laughs> um, you know, Larusa. Hey. He's got the credentials. He 100% got the credentials. And also, he is still very close with Reinsdorf. That's probably why he is in contention, is his relationship, his continued relationship with Reinsdorf. Um, I guess, I guess it, it, it's a philosophy thing, because you can look at it two ways. White Sox, by and large, young team, emerging team. So, you know, one, one side of that would be, well, let's get a, a young emerging coach, right? Kind of like to pair with that. But then the other side of the argument where Larusa might make sense is like, well, with that young fire, maybe you need kind of a calm head to the storm kind a of situation, steady hand, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, you know what? If it were any other sport, I would, I would, I would, I would, uh, in terms of the age thing, have that as a big negative. But if there was any sport where you could be 80 plus and still manage as long as you know how to handle a pitching staff or at least have a pitching coach who knows how to handle your pitching staff, I don't really think age affects coaching in baseball as much as it would in other sports. So um, is he my top candidate? No, but if it happens, uh, I think it would kind of be a nice uh, return, you know, back to the future type return. Um, and, and you know, get get him back into the uh, White Sox fold. So yeah, in baseball, the uh, the work clothes they're comfy. Uh, you know, they're not very restrictive. You can kind of switch it up. And my my general opinion is, it just it just sort of feels like the wrong time with the wrong type of team. I want to ask you this question, and I'm kind of nicking this off of something that Jim Bowden said, a former general manager, and he said. This is a question that you have to ask yourself if you're a White Sox fan. And look at the Cubs situation with Joe Madden. Joe Madden won them the World Series in 2016, but it is fair to ask the question, did he manage the team to the World Series or did he develop the team to the World Series? So the question is, yeah, they won the World Series, but did Joe Madden truly develop you know, Kyle Schwarber, the, the, the player that we thought he was going to be to this point? Addison Russell, you know, personal stuff aside, really fell off the map offensively. Javi Baez took a big step back last this last year. Not Joe Madden's fault, but the question is with Tony LaRusa is, yeah, dude, he knows how to work a bullpen better than anyone else. He practically, like, invented the double switch. He practically invented hitting the pitcher eighth. He's a smart, innovative guy. He knows analytics. He's a tactician. But my question is, would he at all stump, stunt the development of some of these guys that still need developing? Like, we want Luis Robert to be a superstar. You know, we want Mankata to be a multiple all-star. We want all these guys to get better and better and better. Would he stunt their growth for the sake of results? And can we reconcile and live with that as opposed to a guy like Alex Cora who developed Bogarts and Devers in Boston, A.J. Hinch lorded over the development of Correa and Springer, and, you know, all these other guys, Bregman. And that's my question for you is, do you, do you buy into any of that? And who do you actually not prefer as the White Sox manager? Who is your front runner? Well, uh, to talk about Madden first, um, I think Madden, at least to me, was very much in the mold of, of Phil Jackson. He was about the morale side of things. He was about the mental side of things. Um, let's not, I mean, you know, he kind of he kind of messed up that pitching staff during the World Series. I mean, you know, pitching, you know, Chapman for 90 innings, you know, in that series. So it's like 
he's not, you know, he didn't do the Cubs uh, bullpen and pitching staff any favors in that World Series run. Um, in terms of La Russa, I will say this. He spent and won a World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals are famously known for player development, bringing guys up, having like literally they have a book where it's like, this is the St. Louis Cardinals way. Yeah, you look this at the lineup and you're like, who is this guy? Yeah. So and he's hitting if, 320. If we're talking about player development, if he's retained any of that from the Cardinals, much less just his overall career, I don't, I don't think we have an issue there. Especially, especially, I don't know if Dave Duncan is still kind of his left-hand guy in terms of his pitching coach. Um, but yeah, if he brings a guy like that in to be the pitching coach, I, I, I think we're in uh, good shape there. Um, in terms of coaching candidates that I would like to see. I mean, obviously you meant, you mentioned Hinch. I, I just, I will say that, you know, we, um, whether it's warranted or not, I'm not sure we want that baggage. Who knows how involved or not he was with that cheating scandal. Maybe not at all. Maybe it was a complete player's situation, but I just don't think we want that baggage. If, if we were at that position where we're still developing, maybe take that risk, but we are at theoretically a world series run next year. And so with that being the case, I don't know if we want that baggage, but credentials wise, hundred percent, he's, he's, you know, a top candidate, but I think the other things, um, you know, maybe mitigate that a little bit. Uh, I will say this, they officially announced, I think uh, Han officially announced that we will not be asking Ozzie Guillen to manage the White Sox. It's just funny that they had to make an official announcement that we have informed Ozzie Guillen that he is not a candidate to be a coach. Honestly, kind of smart, right? You got to yeah, get yeah. ahead of it because, you know, yeah. it's the first thing that yeah. White Sox fans are going to ask. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, A.J. Pruszynski threw his hat in the yeah, ring exactly. the other day. Said, I would he, totally consider it. Like, it, he, it was crazy that he basically created himself yeah. as a candidate, which was and, funny. Uh, and in the terms of A.J., you know, uh, I love the dude. I loved rooting for him. I actually do think he's a smart baseball guy, and I do think that he'd actually be a good manager. But, like, right size, wrong shape, to quote Hawk yeah, on yeah. that one. Just kind of like the wrong time in terms of Hinch. So then you're 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 definitely way against Cora then, because in my opinion, yeah. Cora's got a bigger stink mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. him than Hinch. Exactly. Uh, I will throw a name at you that has recently come up that I would really be in for. Definitely has the credentials. Definitely has multiple World Series under his uh, on his rings. Um, Bruce Bochy, who uh, you know has famously led the Giants to basically a baseball dynasty. Um, you know he retired last year. He's only sixty five. So, I mean, he's a sprite young kid compared to Tony La Russa um, and obviously has credentials. So I think that's somebody, I don't know how serious some of that speculation was, but I definitely think that's somebody they should at least reach out to to do the tentative interviews or whatever the, the process is. And I just for the fact that I love that the White Sox are kind of big fish hunting in terms of the coaching search. And I hope that that continues over to free agency. I hope they go out and try and get, you know, the Trevor Bowers of the world try to throw some money around and really walk into next season as not only like the Vegas favorite, but you know, the, the darling favorite among national pundits, I think it's time. And I think all these options that we're talking about, honestly, Hinch, and I'm a little bit softer on Cora than you are. I get it. There's a big stink around him. You got to work around that. And I do think he's going back to Boston, but Hinch, Cora, Larusa, Bruce Bochy, these are some big names right now. They're all candidates. And if we landed any one of those guys, I can kind of wrap my head around it pretty quickly. I mean, this isn't Terry Bevington. This isn't Robin Ventura. This isn't even Ricky Renteria. I mean, these dudes are established people who have coached 
major, huge postseason games that I can guarantee you probably know how to work a bullpen or two. And it's rock and roll time on the South side. It's, it's, it's super fun. I'm just excited to see who it's going to be. And I've never really had as many fun candidates to choose from. It's just so cool. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, and actually you, you brought up a perfect segue because we talk about what the White Sox need, whether it's via trade or free agent signing, most likely free agent signing. Um, You mentioned Bauer. I think that would be a great pickup, but here's the thing with Bauer. If we sign him like, you know, a signing like that would probably be at least a two, three-year deal with, like, an option for a fourth, a fifth, maybe even they, longer. They say that he's, he's open to one-year deals, but you're really? correct in your thinking. Yes, he's that e- crazy. He's that kind of dude. Either way, let's say even at a one-year deal, that means given that Keuchel is still on our staff, which I'm assuming he is, uh, barring any kind of situations, that means we are uh, giving up on one of Cease, Dunning, Kopich, because obviously, unless we go to a six-man rotation. So basically, you're you're – relegating one of those guys back to the minors or to the bullpen. And I don't know, especially with those three guys being kind of like our next hope, next wave of like rotation guys. Do you want, I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, I guess ultimately we want that because we are in a position to get the world series in the next couple of years. Who knows what the development of any of these young guys are, but, but that is the sacrifice is that one of those three guys is going to get lost in the shuffle, if not more, depending on how many arms we bring in next year. And then there is, uh, you know, the only other position that I really feel we need to upgrade in is right field, right? Mazzara was not it. He was not it. Uh, Adam Engel is not it. He's not it. So um, I think the free agents who are available in outfield, there, there are some big names. And so, you know, uh, I don't think we'll ever have the opportunity to get the likes of George Springer. But, you know, um, you know, who, who else is out there? You know, we have Cespedes, we have Michael Brantley, we have Jack Peterson, which has been bandied about, but I've I heard, don't know if I want I've Jack. heard the Adam Eaton thing. Um, there is a, a, a medium interest on both sides about a possible reunion with, with an Adam Eaton, which would bring a different dynamic mm-hmm. um, to the lineup. He could go into right field. And I do think we need to try and find someone with some versatility. I don't know if we need to go out and get the big bopper. Like I know Azuna is going to hit the market again kind of sort of have that sort of covered we need a little bit more versatility probably need a little bit more speed a little bit more contact really interesting to see though but again it's we're working from a wealth of options here yeah, where yeah you know we're just we're kind of you're right though we're just sort of talking about right field and what do we do maybe with the back end of the back end of the rotation if we do bring in a big name what are we going to see from Copic? and then who wins out between cease dunning ronaldo lopez all those guys. It's, it's oh, you, crazy. You have hope still on Lopez? I think he's done. I think him and Rodon are done. Right? I personally, I, I just think Lopez is, is, a, is a bullpen guy. And that's my yeah. opinion. I, I yeah. really like him. I think he's got good stuff. And you can watch him pitch through one solid inning and, and do just fine. Yeah. I do think we've had this conversation before about what do those White Sox do with Colome. Colome is a really tough one. Because in my opinion, Colome is, I believe, is going to be 31 next year. He just had a fantastic season. He's a fantastic closer. He's going to want a long-term deal. He's going to want $15 million a year. Are we really going to buy in on that when, as you're mentioning, we've got so many different interesting arms right now in our organization that could possibly fill that out? Could we also maybe do a Ronaldo Lopez and another piece for a closer on another team that we actually believe in? You know, there's a lot of maneuvering that we can do. And I don't know, what, what are your general thoughts? We've texted about this, but let's get it on the yeah, record. How yeah. do you feel about what, what should we do about Colome? I 100% think we need to re-sign him. He has not just this year, not just last year, but in the course of his career, 
proven to be for a name that you don't think is elite. When you look at his numbers, he is an elite closer. There's about 10 of those guys in major league baseball right now. He is one of them. Um, it's I not the that, cleanest inning, but he gets it no, done. Yes. And the thing with him, it's that, you know, I, 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 especially for a championship caliber team, I think you can't have any questions about your closer. But then to your point, you know, if our middle relief guys can't get, you know, to the position to put column A in a safe situation, well, what's it matter? But again, given where we are, cusp of hopefully multiple years of World Series runs, I think we need that closer. Because I can't, I can't think of, and I'm sure there must be, but at least off of the top of my head, I can't think of uh, any World Series winners that haven't had, at least on paper, an elite closer on the roster. Well, the most recent example was A.J. Hinch and the Astros a couple years ago. Uh, they had to bail out on Ken Giles midstream deep that was an injury a, situation right no it was no. A, well it was, a, it was an ineffectiveness was... it was an ineffectiveness okay. situation they did end up saying that you know maybe he was dealing with some shoulder stuff didn't come back on the team the next year he had a lot of he just took he took poor outings really tough mentally and during that postseason string you know they had to go with a mishmash i mean you saw at times lance mccullers coming out of the bullpen you saw charlie morton come out of the bullpen during that run and they were able to pull it off I'm with you completely. This is not something that you want to do. A lockdown closer in the ninth inning is so important, especially over a 162-game season and in the playoffs. You just got to know that that part of the game is buttoned up and that you can feel good about that because those are the games that can be really big backbreakers. Those are the ones that can start losing streaks before you know it. And it's just going to be a really interesting decision of what they do. Really glad to see that Garrett Crochet – I guess at this point now they're just Ooh, saying that it was a strain. Yeah, yeah yes, dude, no yeah. surgery. Oh, God, thank you. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Just just stay away from Carlos Rodon, Garrett, for like the next five <laughs> or six months. Whatever Carlos Rodon is eating and training and drinking, just stay away from whatever that is, dude, and just stay healthy, please, because you think that he could be a starter long term. I think that he could possibly even be our closer in 2021 and then a starter in 2022. This guy can be a dynamic piece that – Either way, no matter what, if he is in the game, he can be a huge difference maker. We need that dude on the field in 2021. Yeah, you know, whether it's crochet, whether it's hopefully, in my opinion, column A. The other aspect of it, and I don't think column A has risen to that point yet in terms of what he offers, but the other aspect in all of sports is the idea that when you have an elite closer, the other team already gives up because they're like, we're, we're not going to get hit of the guy, you know, whether it was Dennis Eckersley back in the day, obviously famously Mariano Rivera, just this mentality of like, Oh my God, we are facing this guy. We're not going to get a hit. So yeah, when Josh the, Hader comes in, you go, Oh shit. Yes. Yes. So that's the other component of uh, an elite closer is the idea that like they've almost gotten the save before they've thrown the first pitch. Yeah, that's a great point. And also, Josh Hader might be on the market this offseason. Maybe the White Sox do have enough toys in the chest to make it very interesting for the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's uh, pivot over to the Cubs real quick. We're gonna. This is probably going to be a little bit shorter uh, because just not a whole lot to talk about right now. It's a little bit more speculation. I do want to get into some Blackhawks and some Bulls. I think we got a little bit more to discuss there. With the Cubs right now, just your general thought on what direction you think they're heading in. I think the last two or three years, Cubs fans have just been dying for them to spend money. They haven't spent any. 
it now looks like they are going to move some of the core guys, the guys that we got jerseys in our closet from winning World Series. Some of those guys are not going to be on the team next year. It's super sad, but I think we all realize it's time to move on. What direction do you think the Cubs are heading in? Do you think they're going to try addition by subtraction? Do you think they're going to try and gut the team and take a full step back to maybe take a step forward? Or do you think maybe door number three, they spend some money, maybe a guy moves off the roster, but they bring in reinforcements and go at it just with a different complexion next year? Yeah, well, I don't think any team, and I've been proven to be wrong again and again, but at least because of COVID, because of the loss of revenue, I don't think any team's going to be able to make a big splash. You know, I think on payroll for this year, they were, they were, they were at 210 million. Um, depending on what the loss percentage is, uh, that's definitely going to drop. They're not going to be able to afford that payroll. So obviously they're going to have to move some people. Um, but, you know, you ask where they are in general. For me, the Cubs, you know, you talk about getting up the hill, getting up the hill. They finally won the World Series, which you can never, you know, just like the Sox, w- whatever the results since, hey, they got that World Series, right? But, you know, to me, they're, they're teetering on the hill to sliding back down on the other side, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, you want to talk about those four core guys. You want to talk about Baez. You want to talk about Rizzo. You want to talk about Brian and Schwarber. I know Schwarber's kind of considered a core guy, although to me, he's just a guy. And when we talk about just a guy, I hate to say this, but is Chris Bryant just a guy now? He is, you know, in, he is with his trade value right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, his MVP year was miraculous. Great numbers. But outside of that, barely his, hits 30 home runs, doesn't hit 300, barely gets 100 RBIs. I mean, barely gets 90 RBIs. So, I, I, you know, other than the name recognition and just the idea that he was a part of that world championship team, Unfortunately, for a corner infielder, I think those numbers are pretty easily replaceable these days. Can't get rid of Rizzo. I mean, he is the organization. If you get rid of Rizzo, you're basically saying to the city of Chicago, we've thrown in the towel. Um, And then, to me, the most important piece of that is uh, Baez. You can't, in my opinion, replace the kind of guy Baez is offensively and defensively. So, um, yeah, some interesting questions. I think – I think they're going to make one last push because especially with like Theo kind of now basically uh, uh, setting out the blueprint for his exit in Chicago, I think they're definitely going to make one more push. If Theo was like, I'm here for another 10 years, maybe the rebuild, maybe some small pieces, but especially now that like we know that the, uh, uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel, unfortunately for the Theo Epstein reign, I think they're going to make at least one more strong push. I certainly hope you are correct, because if they make that push, here's what I would propose. Reopen the Nolan Arenado talks with Chris Bryant. Now, it's not going to be a one-for-one anymore. You're going to have to toss something else in. And while I'm talking about all this, all you Cubs fans out there, guess what? Nico Horner's is available, okay? I don't want to hear this. You can't (laughs) trade Nico Horner. He's our future, blah, blah, blah. Stop it with this stuff. All right, just talk to Gordon Beckham and the people on the south side about what the future looks like when they have guys like that, right? (laughs) He is definitely a piece that needs to be in certain contract negotiations. I would look at going to take on Arenado's money because Colorado wants out of it. Chris Bryant, reclamation project, free agent. Colorado could either get a great year out of him and save face and then let him walk, or they can sign him. You could bring in Arenado in. The first person that I would also look at trading, honestly, is Wilson, Wilson Contreras. Really? I like Willie. I like the fire that he brings, but let's be honest, a couple things. One, defensively, just not my favorite anymore. 
his mechanics, his, his pitch framing got a lot better, but his mechanics throwing to second base really fell off the map this year. If it isn't one thing, it's another thing with him every single season. I like him offensively, but every single August, he always pops a hammy and misses five or six weeks. And on top of it, of all the positions out there, I just think that you can go out and get a serviceable catcher and just have that catcher hit your 240 or whatever and just give you a decent at bat and, and you could fill in other positions in your lineup. If I was the Cubs, I would look at Wilson Contreras. I would go back into the Whit Merrifield talks and I would try and take on Whit Merrifield. His contract is really, really financially feasible. I know that he's 30 years old, but he can play second base. He can play center field. He can interchange. He can move around. He's versatile. He's your leadoff hitter. You move on from Wilson Contreras, you go there. Carlos Schwarber, I don't know what his market is. I've, I've liked the idea of going to the New York Mets and asking them, hey, would you, would you, we, we'll take Edwin Diaz's money. They signed him to a big deal. He was horrible last year. He was pretty good this year. You get all of a sudden your eighth inning guy, your ninth inning guy, you bolster your bullpen, you move over with Kyle Schwarber. All these things are possible. You can go out and even sign a couple of guys, and then boom, I think you have a brand-new team that can win 90 games and possibly make some noise. And like you said, Javi Baez, you can't get rid of Javi Baez. And he's not going to hit 196 this year. My question for you is, if they're not going to do any of that stuff, and they're going to start trading these guys for future prospects, I mean, honestly, I don't think that they should be an 84-win team. You know, you take two steps back to go three steps forward in this situation. If you're going to trade anybody, and we're going to do this whole retooling thing, you know the guy that we trade? We trade you Darvish. His, honestly, his value will not be any higher. I get it that you got an ace on a great contract right now. As, as far as aces go, that contract is amazing. You'll always have to go out and sign that next ace and find him. But if you want to get top-level stuff, if you want to get one, two, three guys, maybe two of those guys are in your rotation or in your lineup two years from now, that's the guy you kind of trade, right? If you're going to really retool and break it down and bring it back up, with Rizzo and Baez and a bunch of other new faces, that's the guy you trade. Well, yeah, you know, you know how I feel about you, Darvish. Um, the guy is great. That's for, a whole nother pod. <laughs> that guy is great for 60 games a year. He would have kept pitching. Once, he he would have kept he, pitching, buddy. Yeah, and so, yeah, his, his value as an, is at an all-time high. I mean, we missed out, to your point, we missed out on uh, getting true, true high value for Kyle Schwarber probably after that World Series year. I mean, oh, I remember yeah. like it was like, oh, well, he's untouchable, which I kind of, you can argue, was the case. I mean, he kind of was the World Series darling. Um, but we could have traded him for Aroldis Chapman and still have Glaber Torres. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about assets, you can realistically move your top asset is Darvish. Because uh, as we talked about, Bias and Rizzo, you know, unless something really crazy happens, those are, those are mainstays in Chicago. Um, you know, you talk about catcher. I, you know, I do like Contreras, but I guess I'm strictly looking at that offensively because, again, it's, it's, it's a barren wasteland for catchers who can consistently contribute offensively. But, you know, there is a certain JT Real Muto that I last looked that is a free agent this year. So we trade Contreras, sign, you know, Real Muto. I don't know if we can afford to sign him, but um, and yeah. And he is, he is bar none the best offensive hitting catcher in the game. Like there's yeah. not really anyone that's even yeah. close to him. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are some moves that can be made. Um, I just, I hope it's not these little, little tick, ticky tack moves of like signing Sousa, signing these guys who are like, you know, we're bolstering our bench, but you know, I, I want to bolster our starters. I don't care about our bench. If our starters can't get us through, who, who cares our grade, how deep our bench is? 
Um, the real question to me is, is Ian Happ, did he prove that he can be, if not the guy, a main guy this year? It certainly looked like it through 40 games. And then the last 20 games, you know, kind of became the Ian Happ we know and love. But if I, I, to a strange degree, I think for me, Happ is our linchpin. Because again, here's a guy who can play several different positions, is obviously young, is potentially, if, if the first 40 games uh, is indicative of what he can become, is somebody that then is another piece, um, whether it's even just to move. But uh, to me, Ian Happ is, at least from an offensive standpoint, the linchpin to the Cubs future. I definitely think he has a bright future. I think he's a left fielder at the end of the day. I think he's a corner outfielder. I'm not a big fan of him in center field. He did get a little bit better as the season went along, but just, you know, list the characteristics of what we like about him, right? Switch hitter has speed hits for power can play multiple positions. I mean, that's all you need. I mean, I think it's a great player to keep around. I think he's a dude also that like, if you handed him a contract extension, that was, really team friendly he would totally take it right now i don't think he's a leadoff hitter moving forward but i do think he can be a really important six seven hitter you know i think him and jay hay at the bottom half of a lineup over the next couple of years is a productive construction of a bottom half of a lineup as long as you can fill out the people that are before him and i do think that he's a positive player we have seen that he keeps getting a little bit better as you mentioned though the numbers did come back down to earth a little bit where by the end of the season he is hitting that 260ish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's probably what you can expect from him but 260ish compared to honestly Kyle Schwarber who has to basically light the world on fire in september to get up to 250 uh you know the previous year this year obviously under 200 again the guy we were hoping would be a 260 hitter, he just isn't that guy. Yeah. So frustrating. And you watch the old highlights of Schwarber, not to get on some weird tangent, but you watch the old Schwarber highlights when he was a little bit heftier, but a little bit younger in the league. Man, he just had this swagger in his swing. And just the way that he would just whip the bat and the confidence that he would take the bat head through the zone, it's just night and day to me in terms of what we're watching now. The Kyle Schwarber now is just – it just seems more rigid, more controlled, almost like he's constantly thinking about his fundamentals. He's not very aggressive at times. He spits on lollipop curveballs on two-and-one counts all the time. And I just don't think he does himself a lot of favors. He's definitely trying. He almost tries too hard. I just wish the dude would kind of get a little bit back to the grip it and rip it that we saw when he first came up because that's what we thought he was going to be. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, I think we have – and even, even with bias, he's kind of – I don't know if discipline will ever be a word you associate with Javi Baez, but you know, compared to how, when Javi came in a little bit more coverage, plate coverage is what we talk about Baez. But ultimately for good or bad, Javi is a grip it and rip it guy. That is when he is at his best. And I think, you know what, if, if the results were to prove themselves to be fruitful, then yeah, Schwarber, Hey, you know, if, if he was hitting 260, 270, right. Then this new kind of, tempered mentality would be great but it's not it's not so grip it and rip it you uh, you are a power hitter that is what your strength supposedly is but conversely I will say on that note I am you know outside of my allegiance to any Chicago guys uh, barring guys like Adam Dunn um, I am sick and tired of these guys who only hit 210 215 but then they'll hit you you know 30 home runs with 70 RBIs it's like 
that's so one dimensional. So it's like, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm sick of that mentality. I, I do. I mean, uh, you know, Schwarber's trying to become a more well-rounded hitter, you know, kind of as we've talked about, but if it's not proving his results, it's not proving results, but then I'm probably a little bit contradicting myself overall. I just don't like this mentality of like, you know, I, I'm going to hit you 200 and then, uh, but, but, but I'll get you 30 bombs. I'm, I'm yeah, Joey Gallo, Adam Dunn, Rob Deere, yeah. all these guys. Yeah. I mean, they are sort of the dudes that become the MLB vagabonds, kind of go from team to team to just pop some home yeah. runs. And, just- and a lot of those times, you know, obviously at the end of the year, when you look at the stats, it's like, oh, wow, they hit 34 home runs. But when, when you look at it in any particular game, how meaningful are those home runs? Especially like when you are only getting, in addition to those 30 plus home runs, 60, 70 RBIs. They're not meaningful. And it was just so disappointing, too, in terms of Schwarber, where truly – that second half of 2019, I really thought he had like turned a corner and hit it clicked for him, man. He was just squaring up baseballs left and right. He was roping doubles down the line. He was popping homers to all fields. I mean, even in lower counts, he was just sticking, putting the stick out and hitting the ball for little singles, to the opposite field. And the guy I think hit 265, something like that in the second half slugged over 600. And I was just like, man, this is the guy. I just really thought that he had matured and just sort of figured it out at the plate. To watch him go backwards this year was just really unfortunate. And it's hard to kind of quantify, right? We mentioned the 60-game season. And, you know, these guys are a bit, especially in baseball, slave to their numbers. You sort of think a little bit after those two weeks, three weeks, they start looking at it and they're like, man, I'm hitting 205. Like, I got to get some hits this week. Yeah, yeah. And then that just snowballs on itself. Two weeks later, man. I'm hitting 206 still. I yeah. really got to get going just to get these numbers up a little bit. They didn't have enough time to sort of like find their base level as, as, yeah. as time went along. So I always think about that. And, and hopefully this is the only season that we're ever going yeah. to look at it in a 60-game season and be like, wow, it, this is an outlier um, in a long history of baseball. Well, you once again set up as the great host you are, another great segue, because uh, a couple of things that I wanted to mention about that, like Kyle Schwarber, is a DH. Okay. Yes. He is a DH. Um, I think part of the toll, I mean, you know, people talk about how trivial some of these things are, but I don't think they're trivial. I think part of his toll is that he has to concentrate on being a competent outfielder, which he's not. I mean, he was a catcher by trade. They converted him into the outfield so that they get his bat into the lineup. And then he proved, I think also maybe in the minors, he proved not to be that great of a catcher. But anyways, he is a DH. When he can just concentrate on hitting, I think that's when he will excel. But he can't do that. I mean, and that also leads me to the second thing I wanted to mention about the DH, because I wanted to get your opinion, Joey. In terms of this universal DH, did you like it? Did you hate it? I, I actually loved it. I thought it was great. I, you know, I really loved that. And I also um, wanted to get your opinion on this expanded, you know, because of COVID, this expanded playoff format with more teams. And I love that as well. So both those aspects, I would have no problems if they push that into hopefully, quote-unquote, regular full seasons once we get out of this uh, COVID situation? Um, In general, Universal DH, I'm fully on board with. I think it's here to say the days of, uh, you know, freaking out when the the pitcher hits a double down the line, I think those days are just long and gone. I mean, it almost feels like a gimmick now at this point. It's not, like, true a professional hitter versus a professional pitcher. It's an amateur hitter versus a professional pitcher. That's how I kind of look at it. In terms of the playoff format, I will be honest with you, I hate the wild card game. I absolutely hate the wild card game. Expanded playoffs, I don't know how to feel about it, and that's based on the 60-game sample. 
not super excited that the Milwaukee Brewers, which who, let's be honest, did not have a good season, were not a good baseball team, ended up in the playoffs. That felt a little wonky to me. Of course, there's a bias to it when your team is that mediocre team and they make it in the playoffs. You feel really happy. You get to watch some playoff games. It sort of just adds a little bit to the sting when they don't do well. So I'm a little bit on the fence there. The other rules, the, the guy at second base in extra innings, I, my vote is for that moving forward is that you play a, at least a 10th and 11th inning straight up. And then in the 12th inning, you put a guy on second base where it's like, let's just keep playing the game the way that we normally played it for a couple of innings, see what happens. And then in the 12th inning, it's one of those, okay, let's wrap this up. Let's put a guy on second base. I don't like the, you got to have a, a relief pitcher face a minimum of three hitters. I don't like that rule at all. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely arbitrary. It has nothing to do with the spirit of anything going in game other than just this rule that you have to, you know, we're somehow speeding up the game doing it. So I like that baseball is being a little bit more open-minded. I definitely think the universal DH is here to stay. Expanded playoff teams, man, there's a lot of them. I don't know, maybe, you know, and that was the thing when it happened in the NFL with wild cards, we were like, what the hell is going on? And now we love it. Right. And now that they're getting expanding it even more in a couple of years, we're going to love that too. So I feel like I can wrap my head around that. And that's just maybe being me like sort of like caught my old ways. So that's how I kind of feel about the playoffs. How do you feel about the extra inning rule? You know, I, I, I think it's really shitty, but also like, so is in football overtime where like, a win is potentially determined on a coin flip. So I think there's, there, there's got to be better ways of determining if you're going to kind of have a sudden death type situation, um, a better way to determine that. Cause that, that, that just, the man on automatic man on second seems super forced to me. That, that doesn't have anything. There's, there's no organic tie in to de- determining an extra inning game. Um, in that situation, you know, that's why like, you know, hockey's like, whether it's the shootout or whether it's the three man overtime situation like that, that is so organic. So there's got to be a way and maybe there isn't to create a more organic way of determining if you really are going to kind of limit the extra inning situation, a way to do that. I mean, I would, I would maybe in a similar like situation as a shootout, you nine guys up the plate, you know, and then, Hey, basically home run derby, however many, you know, home runs get hit out of those nine guys wins the game in overtime. Or what if you do something where you can't, uh, you can't shift in extra innings instead of just putting yeah, a guy and yeah. a tangible thing on second base. I got a whole thing about the shift. I do. Yeah. I do want to pivot real quick because you just mentioned the shootout in hockey. We got two more teams in town. Yep, let's yep. hit them real quick. Um, yep. Let's just talk some Blackhawks real fast. Look, we're not, we're not two hockey heads here. We are, we're Blackhawks fans. We've been around, we have cheered and you know, We've drank shots after they've won their last three cups. So many guys saw on this team, the core of this team. In your opinion, where is this team heading? Got rid of Corey Crawford, going younger at goalie, traded Brandon Saad. The, the salary cap is just this perpetual nightmare. It's like the seventh year yeah, we're up against yeah. the cap. It doesn't yeah. seem to make any sense. I'm not doing the math correct. Where do you think the Blackhawks are heading right now? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you so much, Corey Crawford. Uh, yes, you us, absolutely. You won us two uh, Stanley Cups. And if I can interject really quickly, when we got rid of Niemi, remember it was like, Corey Crawford, can he win the big game? Can yeah, he win a yeah. cup? We, we, we put a lot of pressure on him yeah, and yeah. criticized him for a while, and he won two cups. And he became also the third winningest goalie in uh, Blackhawks history. 
So um, that's going to be tough to replace. Hats off to uh, Pro. See you at the Rise Against concert sometime yeah. down the line, and I'm going to buy you a beer. But you're right. Like it's a whole, you know, it's the whole money dumping situation, the situation we've been in for the last five years. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think uh, unless some things change, we are seeing kind of the end of this dynasty of Blackhawks. But hey, if it's the end of the dynasty, we got three Stanley Cups out of it. So that's better than most teams in any sport. Um, you know, they are kind of, they're making moves, but they're kind of questionable, right? Like, I, I kind of think, like, is Stan Bowman kind of turning into the Garpex of the hockey world, you know? He, um, you know, the Crawford move, whatever you want to say, they tried to sign him supposedly for $3 because they said they didn't have the money for it. Uh, you know, he signs for, I think, a little bit more than that with the Devils, two-year deal, I think, with the Devils. Um, but the weird thing is, okay, so uh, you trade Saad and uh, Gilbert, because you want to make room for this back jam of defensive men that you have. But when you traded Saad and Gilbert, you brought in two more defensive uh, linemen. So it's like, or linemen, uh, guys on defense. And uh, so you've only now created more of a back jam there. So some of these moves don't make sense. You know, you still got your core guys, um, but they're not getting any younger Taze is 32 Kane is 31 I didn't know that Duncan Keith is 37 I thought he was kind of in that Taze Kane range but he's no, old. he was before he yeah. was you know him yeah. and Seabrook are the yeah. they are the yeah. old heads in that locker room and and you're right it just it just sort of feels like from an outsider's perspective that Stan Bowman just keeps throwing shit against the wall and hoping to God that it yeah. sticks where you know a situation where a Dylan Strom finally has sort of worked out for him but, man, you know, trading Nicholas Jalmerson, we've been trying to replace him on the blue line ever since, and now we're trading a guy, Brandon Saad, you know, that what we traded for, we traded, got him back for Artemi Pernarin. It just yeah. seems like we keep we back changing. Again, yeah. It's like a shirt yeah. that keeps going through the wash where eventually the colors just keep kind of fading a little bit and diluting, and you're asking yourself, man, where are we going with this? And I have questions. You know, when you get rid of Corey Crawford, I get it's a great time to move on, but if you're going to go young at goalie, Niemi aside, it basically says you're not competing for the playoffs or the cup next year. Am sure. I wrong? No, but here's this is the year to do it because again, with all sports, every team's going to lose money. So uh, much less depending on what filling the stadium will look like this subsequent season if they're going to be able to do that. So, you know, if you're going to put a shitty product on the ice in this case for the Blackhawks, this might be the season to do it. But you know, you you nailed it. I mean, whether you're trying to do a rebuild, a complete rebuild, or if you're trying to kind of make one last push, at least have a vision and stick to that vision. The moves Bowman are making are all over the board in terms of like, what does this move mean? You know, because it's like it, it kind of contradicts the previous move. Um, you know, I guess in my world of worlds, you know that. Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays led, you know, core makes one more push. Cause I do yes. recall our, our, our arch enemies, or at least not anymore, but at least traditionally our arch enemies, the Detroit wet red wings, they kind of did that themselves. They had an aged roster and then kind of right. Um, it was right around 2010, maybe a little bit before 2010 where they started making runs again as an older team. Um, you know, you can point to like the Detroit Pistons in the same way in terms of basketball. So, maybe there is one more push left in them, but overall, yeah, I mean, we are, we are on the cusp of uh, a rebuild um, in the hockey world in Chicago. I'll never forget. We won our third cup. I believe it was 15 talking to a friend 
and just ask that easy question, you know, do you think that they can win one more? Do you think they can win next year? And I go, man, three cups, super tough. I'll tell you the only thing that I want, and I don't care when it happens, was I just wanted to see, you know, Taves and Kane and Keith, you know, Seabrook, whatever. But I just wanted to see those guys, old grizzled veterans, going for it one more time, you know, years removed where they've, they had that three cup run and then we're at it now. Basically we're five years in who knows if it happens this year, hopefully it happens the next couple of years. But I just wanted to see those guys, you know, when you see the Mark Messier's or the Ray Bork's of the world, you know, Ray Bork was trying to get his first cup, but they're at the end of the road. They're getting one more taste of that cup glory. Mm-hmm. And I just think those players, those hall of fame players that have been so amazing in Blackhawks history, you know, that all, inspired us to go out and get Blackhawks jerseys again. I just want to see them get one more taste at a Western Conference Finals, at a Cup Finals, and just be in it one more time. And I'm just sort of asking my, myself questions of, you know, are we just trotting these guys out to sell tickets and be a seven or eight seed? Are we really retooling and trying to build something for the future? Are we ever going to go for it again? It's just stuff that I just can't really quite figure out. And let's be honest, while this has been happening, the Blackhawks just keep going backwards. Yeah, and the unfortunate side effect of hockey, maybe not so much in Chicago, is that it's it's the, you know, it's the fourth major sport. So you won't have like you know we talked about Anthony Rizzo. There would be, I got to think of another word than riot, especially in today's current climate. There would be a revolt in Chicago Upheaval. Cubs of right if if they got rid of Rizzo. So unfortunately, I don't know if there would be that uh, worry of fan uh, disenchantment if they got rid of this core in hockey. Real Chicago, quick, would, it'd be worse. It'd be worse if we traded Kane than Taves, right? Yes. I, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, you know, because again, you know, we we talk, we've used the word dynamic. Patrick Kane is the dynamic guy that is, you know, uh, Taves is the heart and soul of the Chicago Blackhawks. But in terms of like the the sex appeal of the Chicago Blackhawks, it's Patrick Kane. Um, so. When you bring someone on a date for the first time who's never seen hockey, you want to point out number eighty-eight probably first before yeah. nineteen because they will probably enjoy the experience more. I mean, here's the, here's the perfect comp. I mean, Jonathan Taze is Anthony Rizzo. Patrick Kane is uh, bias. I mean, that's literally the perfect comp uh, in terms of how they contribute, the way they contribute, and how they're perceived in the city. So Chicago would be the one hockey city where there would be a little bit more of a, like, what the hell are you doing from the fan base if they got rid of those guys? But in general, just, you know, hockey will always be that least acknowledged sport in this country. So um, I, unfortunately, I don't think we have that riding for us to give those guys one last, put, last push. But, yeah, yeah, I'm really hoping that, you know, that core four, like they get one more chance to ride off into glory. Hopefully we got a little more space on our Chicago sports buffet plate. So you do fashion yourself. My friend, Mike is a hoops honcho from time to time. <laughs> so let's just talk some bulls real quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah Not yeah. a lot to discuss other than, you know, Billy Donovan is now our head coach. We haven't really been on betting Chicago to talk a lot about that. They also dismissed all of their assistant coaches, which honestly, that just seems like that makes a lot of sense. Billy Donovan, wants his own guys. Karnasovas is bringing in his own guy. It's a whole clean slate. It's new people in the building, fresh voices, fresh new vibe, fresh new philosophies everywhere. And let's just start in the, the generic realm of the broad point of, it kind of feels good to be a Bulls fan again. I kind of feel like we're pointed in the right direction. Yeah, you know, the ironic thing is, 
and again, this is an indictment potentially on our roster, the fact that we are so excited about a, a new president, a new coach, a new GM. Yeah, they don't dribble the ball. Level. They don't, yeah, they don't right? shoot the three. It's, it is, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of like, oh, it's, a, it's the backhanded compliment in terms of it's being excited, a, right? It's a funny thing, too, where it's like if you're in Chicago, you're like, I heard they got this brand new Connie's Pizza yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It's in Section 235. <laughs> oh, the team? Who cares about the team? But this Connie's Pizza. Yeah. And again, you know, again, we kind of text about it, the idea of like, is it odd or not odd? for him to kind of like just say goodbye to all the current ACs, assistant coaches. Um, you know, it depends on the situation. If it were a Phil Jackson type situation where he came in and like because the Bulls were on the cusp of winning the six championships that they were about to win, yeah, kind of keep the organization pat, you know, outside of bringing the new head coach. But unfortunately, this is not that situation. We are not on the cusp of a championship. So you do need, in my opinion, a complete overhaul. And yeah, I mean, you know, Billy Donovan, I think, uh, again, we talked about it prior. Love that hire. Love that pick. Uh, of the coaches that were available at the time, he was, in my opinion, by far the best qualified candidate. So, yeah, a lot of good things. A lot of good things. And if you are Karnasovas and you're looking at this roster now, there's a lot of interesting decisions to come up with this Bulls team. You know, Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be an RFA next year, I think. Laurie Markkinen's also going to be up for some money, too, as well. Zach Levine's contract, surprisingly enough, is going fairly quickly. He's going to be coming up for free agency coming up, too, as well. Thad Young, Sadoransky, those contracts will be off the books soon. Otto Porter's money, too, as well. There's going to be a lot of freed-up cash coming around for this salary cap. So let me ask you, if you are Karnasovas right now, you got a brand-new job, you got a brand-new office, you're looking at this team right now, if you could trade one guy right now, off this Bulls team, you know, who do you think has the best value and who would you part with right now? And, you know, forget who you get back right now, but who do you think is the best asset the Bulls have on their team right now? Well, let me start by saying the best asset we should have had on our team was Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Butler the idea that he has ascended now to arguably a top 10 player in the league and that he's not doing it in a Chicago Bulls uniform it's infuriating it's a travesty because um, here's the, here's the thing right we talk about jimmy butler he's kind of a diva he kind of needs to be the guy on his team to kind of really excel as he's done now in miami as like he did not do in minnesota or philly but he would have had he would have been in that position in chicago he would have undoubtedly been the lead dog there would have been no question of whose team that was so there's no doubt in my mind that he would have thrived the flip side to that coin is you know, we talk about players like a Michael Jordan, guys in that caliber, Kobe Bryant, who in any team would have been the superstars that they had become. Is Jimmy Butler, in your opinion, before, and this is a tangent before I get to your question about trades, did Jimmy Butler have to leave Chicago, become the player he is today? Absolutely not. Not, not, not in my opinion. I mean, the guy... We know the Jimmy Butler story, you know, drafted what 29 30th overall dude that played six minutes a game dude that found his way into a rotation on a Tibbs roster who doesn't play rookies ever by being a hard nosed, tough ass defender. And then the guy before our very eyes over these years learned how to shoot, learned how to score, learned how to be, I don't want to call a leader on the team, but learned how to be, you know, an alpha dog in the offense. Now, even if you remove the, the D Rose, you know, Joe Kim Noah kerfuffle situation, mm -hmm. he was still on the team when those guys were long gone, you know, with the D Wade, Rajon Rondo teams, the dude that was shooting the ball in the fourth quarter, making 
big buckets, pun intended. <laughs> and, you know, God forbid we keep a guy around like that and build a team around him filled with shooters and tough-minded defensive. It's yeah. literally the fart that Gar and Pax ripped before they walked out of the elevator and the doors shut yeah. on us right now. And to your point of did he have to leave, no, I don't because, you know, he went to Minnesota and realized right away that they weren't playing the type of basketball that he wanted to play. He had the coach that he wanted to play, but he didn't have the players. In Chicago, the issue was the coach. He thought, you know, Fred Hoiberg should be pushing him a little bit harder. He liked the players on the team. You know, he respected the guys that were on there. Went to Philly, same situation. Had a problem with the players in Miami. It finally was a fit culture-wise. You know, the fact that he couldn't – the fact that you're – the question is a great question because could he have become the player? Well, I guess the pushback on that is – the culture and the institution of the Bulls would that have actually held him back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But man, the concept of a homegrown dude that honestly really actually wanted to be in Chicago, just wanted to have that respect. And you know, what's even crazier about it. People are like, well, we wouldn't have had the draft picks. Well, we drafted seventh every year, you know, Lori marketing, Wendell yeah. Carter, Kobe Bryant, go down the list. Like, what if we were that 40-40 middling team and we were drafting 13th, 14th overall? We could have had our shots at, like, guys like Donovan Mitchell and Michael Porter Jr. and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. These dudes are going in the teens. So it's a big sliding doors question. I would love to hear your thoughts. Do you think he would have become the player? <sighs> we would have loved him, dude. He would have been, he would have been as yeah. hard-nosed as ever. He might have been maybe more of a scorer, but I just think Jimmy Butler, it, he was already on his course no matter what team he was on. Yeah, you know, I, I would like to think he could have ascended in Chicago to that point. But I, I wonder if he kind of needed, and again, who's to say what anybody's mental makeup is, but I wonder if he needed the Minnesota and Philly situation to devolve as it did in both cases to kind of reassess his life as a professional basketball athlete. I mean, those are, these are big concepts, right? But well, maybe real he, quick, he, was, he started dating celebrities too, right around when he got traded from Chicago. <laughs> Remember was when he's like, he started kind of yeah. feeling himself Hollywood wise, yeah, yeah, started yeah. hanging out with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall though, again, if you talk about situations where he needs to thrive, be the alpha dog, be the lead guy, the unquestioned leader, the unquestioned, you know, one a option. Yeah. Chicago, he would have had that. Um, in this current permutation before he got traded in 2017. Uh, now to answer your question about trades or people getting, being gotten rid of, let, let me just tell you, uh, Joe, I'm sure you know this, but Otto Porter is the highest paid athlete in Chicago. Um, for all Trivia of a question. <laughs> yeah. For all of, 29 games in two seasons he makes more money than anthony davis think about that think about that chicago the world do i have to do i have to think okay, about it so you want to talk about an albatross contract i don't know do we ride that out do we trade i don't I, there's no way we can trade that because nobody's going to take that on unless we eat like 40 percent of that contract so, I mean, I would love to move Otto Porter. I don't think he has any trade value. So I think he just walks in a year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I want to get rid of that contract. You know, we don't really have, you know, in terms of, like, trade assets that could get us anything in return, you know, it's the idea that, okay, well, Zach Levine. But, you know, like it or not, what are we getting back for Zach Levine? Unless it's draft picks. Um, 
So in terms of the immediate future, I, I, I actually think, you know, you, you, you know, talking about bringing people in, um, it kind of makes perfect sense, although it would kind of stop some of the progressions of, uh, or and add another like point guard to the mix. I think Chris Paul kind of makes sense. You know, we talk about, you know, Billy Donovan and their relationship in OKC. Um, the only downside is, uh, I'm, I'm sure, as Paul gets into his waning years in the league, he probably wants to play on a championship caliber team. Well, and he's going to make $45 million a year, if not this year, like the year yeah, after. Yeah. His, If you want to talk about a contract that's insane, uh, yeah. Chris Paul's, unfortunately, is. And my question for you is, you know, it's, it's not that Zach Levine – Zach Levine's the best player on the team. And I think we can all agree that he is on paper probably the best asset. If you were to put it in the, the trade machine, he probably gets the highest grade. The question that I'm kind of asking is I'm curious to see what they do is we got an NBA draft coming up, which you, my friend, is going to be coming back. We're going to be doing a big NBA draft pod. Yeah. And that's coming around in a couple weeks. That. And yeah. I think, and you can agree, that a lot of guys that we're looking at right now are in that swing position, guys with length. And I'm just looking at Lori Markkinen right now. And the reason why I'm doing that is you read all these articles about these stats about marketing was so good when Robin Lopez was on the floor because he would help box guys out so he could get rebounds. Then I started reading all these articles in the limited sample size of how Otto Porter actually was really useful, not just in his box score, but he actually really helped free up Zach Levine's game and Lori Markkinen's game. So all that aside, I'm looking at marketing being like, okay, he needs a certain combination of guys to unlock his talent. I thought last year he looked tentative. I just don't see the maturation really taking place that I thought I would. You know, at this point in the you know, at this point in his career, he should be a lockdown three-point shooter, a dude that can get hot every three or four games. Haven't really seen that a lot. Dude gets hurt a lot, gets banged around on the boards. I'm kind of just sort of asking, is he a tweener? What is he right now? And in terms of market value, market in value. <laughs> pun intended you just like sort of seems like a guy that you could move on from in theory get a piece that can either help you this year or as you mentioned some sort of draft capital and then at the four spot actually pick somebody to replace him and then truly give Wendell Carter the run in the minutes that he probably deserves to see what you've got there and cross your fingers and hope that Otto Porter stays healthy and maybe he gives you something too as well another great segue Joey because I was going to bring up uh you know, the idea of Wendell Carter, this I know we have completely opposite views on. Um, but before we get into Wendell Carter, um, I, unfortunately, Lori's market, his value is as low as it can get. So we're not going to get anything from him in return, in my opinion. Um, the ideal situation is that he kind of flashes this year to kind of then become a potential moving piece. Um, and I think hopefully, we talked about it before. Uh, this new coaching regime hopefully brings that out of Lori because if there's that one person on the roster who could really have used that coaching change, it's probably him, right? You really um, suffered under Boylan's scheme. Yeah. As yeah. did so many, I, as, sure. even, as did us with our own eyes watching. Yeah. Uh, we sure. also suffered watching Boylan's scheme as well. So he's not <laughs> So alone. yeah, I mean, I, I think actually we would not want to move him because we would not get fair value in return for him for at least what we think we should get value in return for him as um that brings me to wendell carter uh not to start uh any kind of arguments at the end of this uh pod but to me wendell carter is just a guy there's been nothing about his play where a solid hey solid guy he's a guy that probably will be in the league for the next 15 years just solid guy right 
But, you know, you want to talk about a big man who's shown flashes, limited flashes. No, not Feliciano. Uh, Daniel Gafford. I'm, I'm a big believer in Gafford because, once again, you want to talk about, hey, is he in, was he inconsistent as a rookie? For sure, as all rookies are. But, you know, similar to a guy like Taj Gibson, there are definitely moments in Gafford's game where you were just like, wow. The way they – wow. The great comp with Gibson is the way they both run the floor. As a big running the floor yeah. and finishing yeah. at the other yeah. end, I think I'm, – I'm super high on Gafford too as well. Yeah. So with, with Carter – and again, starting to get that injury bug tag onto him early in his career. So that coincides with not really getting to see his full potential, much less only have been – playing into his second year. So, you know, once again, back to what I said earlier in the pod, I think three years is kind of when you really start knowing what this guy is by and large. Um, So if we don't see that added jump until we see that he's just a guy. So, yeah, I don't um, think we're as far off in disagreement as you think where I do like Carter uh, probably a little bit more than you do, but here's my thing is like, he's going to be a restricted free agent after this year. So, my thing is we have to figure out right now what this guy is and what he's capable of. And I just don't think with Boylan's scheme and the way that they had him basically just like, you know, picking up the scraps in the paint, playing help defense and rotating on blocks and stuff. I don't even think we've even scratched the surface on what he's capable of. Is he capable? I don't know, but we need to find out because if we do another season of what he plays 26 minutes and he splits time with marketing and there's a rotation, there's going to come a point where we're going to be overpaying for a guy. I would rather at least know what this dude is so that if we pay him money, we know that he's not Bobby Portis and we know that he's a dude that we can move forward with. And I just think it's at that time where we just need to sort of figure it out. I'm with you. Injury bug too, as well. Can this guy stay on the floor? It's a big question right now. And you want to find out. And the good thing about what happened with Chris Dunn last year was that it was almost like we force played him. And I think we saw some pretty positive things. Again, the dude got hurt again, but we saw some of the defensive flashes. We saw him able to drive to the hoop a little bit and exist in an offense. Not the best shooter in the world, but a guy that is a good bench player. That's who, yep, yep. that's who he is now. We know who he is. We have no idea who Wendell Carter is. So my only pushback is we just have to figure that out. And if that means trading marketing and going Wendell Carter, Daniel Gafford, and then whoever we pick, Wiseman, Topin, whoever, then let's roll with that, man, and let's figure it out. Yeah, and again, this goes to, I mean, what I'm about to say is based on the, the, the theory that Carter is just a guy. And in that case, I think his value potentially is at an all-time high based on that assumption because Ooh, like the tantalizing yeah okay I it's, hear you. you know we talk about we talked about Kyle Schwarber to kind of bring mm-hmm. it back all to Chicago sports his value was at an all-time high right after the world series right like oh my god we could probably get what the world for Kyle be. Schwarber right so I think and again this is which I could be as again as <laughs> proven to be wrong time and time again based on the idea that Wendell Carter is just a guy this is the time to move him because come his third year when it shows like, hey, he's a, a 10, 7, and a half a block guy that could be replaced by any number of guys, um, then, yeah, then his value is going to plummet. So, uh, yeah, exactly. It's the unknown in this case where with Laurie, I said wait because we want him to, whether he stays with the team or gets traded or moved, re- return to the value that they thought he was going to be. This is the case where, like, 
I don't, I think we want to get rid of him while there's some uncertainty in terms of, oh, this guy could be something in the right situation. And I think we both can agree with now, you know, a new executive in house, a new coach. I think we're just ready for the Bulls to take some big swings, make some bold moves, make some trades, bring some new players in, hopefully hit on this draft pick this year. And let's, you know, I don't know, maybe win some basketball games. I don't know. We'll see. Mr. Mike Choi, my stomach is, my stomach is full from the Chicago sports buffet, man. Any crumbs, anything that we left out, anything still picking around in your brain? Cause man, this was fun. No, just a couple of things. I technically was at a sporting event this year, as you know, with my cutout being at Comiskey it's Park. True. I will, I will never call it guaranteed rate field. Uh, so yeah, Makita, I'm actually, shout out to your little dog. Yeah, Makita. Yeah. And so uh, I'll, I'm actually getting it. The Sox gave gave people the option of having them mail them their cutouts. So I'll actually be receiving my cutouts in the stadium in a couple of weeks. Um, oh, and, your uh, girlfriend's going to be so happy when you go out yes, of town. She's yeah, going to have yeah. a, car, a cutout of you. You're going to be all set. Christine's going to be so happy. And to bring it back around to the betting uh, side of things, Joey, um, you know, I know you think you Darfish is going to win the Cy Young. I, I personally believe Trevor Bowers, it's Trevor Bowers to lose. We might have to put a, a side bet. I know, I think the odds are pretty close between who and, and well, in terms Ooh, of who's Yeah, great question. I know, but, I know uh, you Darvish was plus 800 to begin the season. That's a great question. I don't yeah. know what Trevor Bowers' numbers were. I knew Shane Bieber actually had the best odds out of the American League. So that preseason, yeah, oh, that's a lock. That's, that's a lock. That's a lock, um, baby. I know DeGrom was ahead. And a couple of other guys. I'm curious to see what Trevor Bauer's numbers are, but I'd be willing to put a little friendly wager on there because <laughs> and the it's, other th- it's going to be close. It's going to be yeah. really, really close. I, I believe so too. I think uh, uh, once again, bringing it back to the Sox, I think it's a lock for a Brayu. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's a lock for a Brayu. Uh, in terms of Rookie of the Year, you know, come. 40 games in, we thought it was Roberts to Robert to to run away with. But it's Kyle Lewis. From, yeah, that kid from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how that voting will go. And we want to kind of wrap this up about optics. Um, you know, Rich Renteria is in contention for manager of the year. I mean, you know, it's between, right? I mean, he's probably third behind uh, 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 who's the guy in Tampa Bay. I was going to say Kevin uh, Cash in Tampa is probably, that yeah, seems then, like uh, uh, that seems like the, a slam dunk. But you're, you're right, man. He's going well, to yeah, yeah, so, get first place votes. He's going to get first place votes, no doubt. Dude with the A's. Weird, yeah. Dude with the A's is probably going to get a little love, too, as well. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Ricky. I think, you know, in a situation. It's a nice parting gift if he wins it. I think, you know, Baltimore. I think Pittsburgh. I think the Pittsburgh Pirates would absolutely love a dude like Ricky Renteria, a team that just compiles all these young dudes and literally their owner doesn't give a shit. So they're just asking them to play professional baseball games out yeah, there. Yeah. I do think Ricky would be a good steward and a good leader on teams like that. And then eventually when they get good again, he'll get fired again. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you there. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's no, uh, they don't have coordinators in baseball like they do in football, but that to me, that that's, if there had been offensive or defensive coordinators or something similar in baseball, that's what he's most suited to. In my opinion, he's a coordinator kind of guy. He's not your head coach or in this case, manager kind of guy. So, um, but yeah, best of luck to him. A great guy, but just, uh, yeah, didn't, uh, couldn't get us through that, that hump. Mike Choi, thank you so much for joining, man. And honestly, always great to have you on the pod, my friend. And also, good luck with that Chumbawamba package you're putting together right now for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know there's a lot to look through. There's a lot to suss out. Yeah, yeah. This is a good respite from that. So thank you very much, Joey. (laughs) Oh, buddy, we'll have you back real soon. We're going to be talking some NBA with Mike. 
definitely in the near future and hopefully some other sports too as well as the White Sox might have a manager before you know it. But until then, this was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Make sure you head to their website this weekend for all their great. They got great spreads. They got great live betting too as well. So if you're in the middle of the game and you make a wrong bet and all of a sudden you want to switch it up, you can go in there and you can make it happen and still win some cash. Make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for listening to the pod today. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other, and we will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.